What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the second episode of the A to B series. Um, I'm your host, Isaiah Studevant, CEO of Evron, and I'm here with my co-founder and CEO of Evron, Shalik Sebron. And boy, do we have a treat for you today. Uh, as promised in the first episode, Shalik, did, did we not tell you that, tell them that they were going to get some value? We had some big players coming to the podcast. Yeah, we actually lied. We actually said it wasn't going to happen until maybe the fourth or fifth episode. Um, but Christmas came early this year, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, so today we have a special guest, um, an advisor, a mentor, actually a friend of ours as well, um, Nick Tipman. So, Nick, if, I don't know if you want to give a little explanation of how you got here with us, but um, by all means. Yeah, thanks, Shalik. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I know we're going to have a ton of fun here today. Um, yeah, just a, a quick background about myself. Um, right now, I'm, a, I'm an investor and an advisor and a mentor, like you mentioned. Um, previously, before that, I was a, an operator and an entrepreneur. Uh, I was CMO at Greenlight Guru and part of the founding team there. Uh, we were a B2B SaaS company focused on medical device companies. Uh, so we help med device companies get approved by the FDA and, and keep them on the market, keep them compliant, uh, keep quality once they did get their devices approved. Um, and had a, had a really great run there, was there almost nine years, which is pretty crazy to, to think about looking back now. Um, but yeah, man, we, uh, we bootstrapped it from, from basically, basically nothing. I was the, the first employee and, uh, yeah, got it up to tens of millions in ARR and then, uh, was able to bring on uh, a capital partner in private equity for $120 million with uh, JMI equity back in 2021, um, and had, had a great ride with them. Um, so it was fantastic and, uh, was able to to step away it was it was my time back about six months ago or so and mm -hmm. have really uh focused uh in on the investing front and on the advising and yeah and that's that's how we're that's how we're here well, yeah, <laughs> yes so it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a long talk right so let's how, how about we we dive into what was nick like before you even got to Greenlight guru yeah it's a it's a great question so a little bit of my background like I grew up and I'm an entrepreneur at heart, like grew up wanting to be an entrepreneur, dad, grandpa were entrepreneurs, kind of small business manufacturing type entrepreneurs. And uh, I grew up like jumping in ponds, getting golf balls out of them, selling them on the side of the golf course, like doing lemonade stands, like buying fake Oakleys online, selling them out of my locker. Of course, letting everybody know they were fake, but we, we were, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll keep that keep that between us, right? Um, but no, so yeah, just grew up wanting to start businesses, went to college, uh, studied entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, and then my, my senior year kind of found tech startups, fell in love and like knew that this is, this is where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do with my career. And, um, yeah, I was able to get into a startup accelerator. Um, that was what, uh, over a decade ago now, which is, which is pretty crazy to think, uh, had, had three, uh, learning experiences, as I like to say now, uh, three different startups over about three, three years, um, was able to, to sell the last one, but really just kind of soft landing for what, what we had into it. Um, but, but yeah, man, a lot of, lot of trials, a lot of errors, a lot of learnings, a lot of failures. Um, and then, yeah, landed, landed at Greenlight Guru, and uh, it's been, it was a great ride. So you were, you were the first marketing hire for Greenlight Guru, or the first in the marketing department, right? So let's, how about we go way back, way back, nine mm -hmm. years ago, 
And what was your first day like? As oh. a marketing, yeah. What was your first day like? Wow, first day. That's a that's a good one. Um, so I actually uh, originally joined as a marketing consultant uh, for the company, like a, a month or two after they joined. The first, my first day with the company, we actually went to a trade show, um, and it was it was a startup event in Indianapolis uh, with startups, investors, potential customers, and. It was a, a really validating moment for me, uh, as our, our CEO and founder David Ram uh, liked to say. Like, people were just coming up to the booth, like foaming at the mouth. Like, there was there was a big demand for this for this yeah. product and this idea that uh, him and John Spear put together, and, and David Omark had helped to, to start build. And um, yeah, it was it was a cool experience for me to get to see the response from the market on day one. Um, which just got me fired up. Yeah, so you you coming into it because you, you said as you said you you studied marketing, yeah. right? So when you came into it, what were your expectations? And then like, was there a moment where you like, okay, like I'm not ready for this? Yeah, uh, no doubt. Uh, there definitely was a little bit of imposter syndrome and uh, a little bit of worry of like, hey, can can I can I do this? Can we do this? Yeah. Um, that being said, though. My, my experience, one of the startups that uh, I did before Greenlight Guru was uh, a media company focused on startups and entrepreneurs outside of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a media property which really allowed me to learn like online marketing, SEO, content, uh, email marketing, really uh, event marketing. We hosted conferences like uh, Forbes named our, our conference in 2013 a must attend event for entrepreneurs. Uh, the event we had in Cincinnati. Um, but running that media company really gave me the tools and the skill set and the experience that I needed to, to run Greenlight's marketing department. Because this was uh, early 2014, and now it's a lot more common wisdom that like every company is a media company, right? You, yeah. you guys hear that all the time, especially mm -hmm. in B2B. Like you need to be a media company. Every company every company should be a media every company. Every company should be yeah. a media company. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's great advice. They should. It's not just like a trend or a, an idea. Just, but so we were a little I got I, I just kinda lucked into that mm -hmm. to a degree that I just run a media company and this were kind of the trends and once I got in there, I kinda saw we could run the same playbook and use a lot of the same ideas and a lot of the same patterns that we did mm -hmm. to grow an audience at the media company, um, just focused on a different persona at Greenlight. So twofold question. The first one, I want to st go back to like sticking a pin on your first day of a trade show. What is your conventional wisdom for how trade shows were done before and how you think they like what's the right way or like what are some best practices for how B2B companies should be approaching trade shows now? Yeah, 100 percent. So this was um, I use the word trade show loosely and this is more like a, sharp, a startup showcase, I would say. So a little bit different flavor on, on how we were preparing. But the, the idea was, was similar. Like you, you need to know who's at the event. Uh, is your ICP, your ideal customer profile gonna be there? Mm -hmm. uh, are you gonna prospect? Who do you wanna meet? You gotta have a game plan before. Once you're at the show, executing the game plan, getting out there, talking to people, and then making sure you document all that so you can follow up afterwards. So I'm gonna go down just one more little rabbit hole. Yeah. So ICP is, is a big topic that we always talk about, but um, how would you say um, B2B SaaS companies should identify their ICP? Like, is it is it, they, they start the company, like if we're talking zero to a million, like let's say, do they start with the ICP or should they kind of go wider then find kind of refine their ICP over time? Like how do you how do you think like they should go about like validating and identifying their ICP? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and, and really, really important. And one, one of the first things that you should do to, to really um, set the foundation for your marketing for B2B SaaS companies uh, in particular. Um, so in that, that zero to one phase, like the, the founders really have a, have a hunch, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they didn't start a company like that. I guess maybe some have a product and they're, they're searching for you. But I, most of the time, the, the entrepreneurs and the founders that I see and I'm working with have an idea of who their potential ICP is going to be. And then really in the early days, it's all about like, how do you validate that? So um, do, do your research, figure out their wants, their needs, their fears, their desires, their pain points, their motivations, really get to know who you think your potential ICP is, interview them, talk to them, embed, that, embed yourself in their workflows and how they do things. Um, and then, then from there, you wanna take that, put together your positioning, put together your messaging, and then once you have your messaging and you have something that you can put out to the world, now it's time to start testing, right? Now it's time to start experimenting. So how can we run fast tests to understand, is this resonating? Is, is it matching with the audience? Are we getting them to take the next desired action that we're looking for? And then hopefully, are they actually signing up for the product, purchasing it and getting value and, and long-term value? I know it's a, depending on how early the company it is, it's not like you have 10 years of historical retention data or anything, but you can look at things like MPS and customer satisfaction score to, to kind of hopefully get some of those leading indicators of, of whether or not they're getting value with your product so um, to actually let's let's take that to back to, to your story right as far as um, from your first day when you yeah. came in um, so what were oh, this, what were your goals like yeah. like what what was your first goal you were like okay I need to like validate ICP or was like okay I need to get to a million dollars like as fast <laughs> as possible so what was the first thing you was like okay we need to figure this out first let's let's hit this goal and then from there we can we can start to actually scale yeah no it's a fantastic question this is this is a lot of fun uh, going going back to your memory lane on, <laughs> yeah, on a lot sure. of this stuff because yeah. it, it does it, it relates so well to the to the ICP and the messaging uh, comment that we just had um, like when it, when I started at Greenlight like I said the company was just a, a couple months old at the time and um, really when I came in we had a name Greenlight Guru <laughs> and uh, a website that, that said uh, something like coming soon yeah uh, so. We, we're starting starting fresh. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Founders had a ton of thoughts, ideas that this stuff documented in different places, things that I could go pull on, case studies, customers that they talked to already. Um, but it was really it was information gathering. So mm-hmm. it was going and talking to the founders. It was reading what they did have. It was going and having. Uh, um, conversations with potential customers. Um, we were we were pre-product launch at that time uh, as well. Um, so we're really just searching. You're trying you're trying to learn, and then you gather all that information, kind of um, put it in those topics that I mentioned earlier, and then yeah, figure out your positioning, get your messaging, and yeah, I can I can re- still remember putting together that that first website and writing all that messaging and writing that copy and. Uh, what a, a cool experience that was and like how, how awesome it was to get that first website out there and get the message. But it's like, is it good? I don't know. Like, like, like let's see. <laughs> so how do you, how do you transition? So from gathering the information for your ICP mm-hmm. and you think that your ICP is now verified. Mm-hmm. Right. And as, as we know, that's not usually how it works. So let's, let's, let's even take a, a deeper dive. What was that first campaign like? 
Yeah. What, what, yeah. what was the objective of that first campaign that you hit publish on? Yep, uh, great, a great question. And uh, a great point there, Shalik, on the fact that your ICP, you're never kind of done on that. You're right. always exploring, you're always figuring, like Greenlight's been 250 employees now. And when, when I left, and I know we were still always constantly validating, mm-hmm. looking at our ICP, what getting more segmented, going wider, like what what is it? But um, yeah, so when we got that first messaging done, got that first, first website out there, um, you're looking for both qualitative and quantitative research. Um, and so I was sending it to people, talking to people at the company, the founder, talking to those prospects and like literally sitting next to them and getting their feedback. Like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Like you can do that, like do things that don't scale in the beginning, like just, just talk to people. Um, but then the, the first way that we, we, uh, um, tried to quantify whether it would work or not was, was through doing some paid ads testing. And so, uh, I get a little preachy here. One of the things I used to say in all of our marketing onboarding classes is there. There's two two goals of marketing, all marketing. Doesn't matter B to C, B to B, what business to human. Like doesn't matter. Uh, you're either you're managing perception or changing behavior. Mm-hmm. And changing behavior can be as simple as getting someone to click on a link or to sign up for a demo form. So that initial test was let's go to. I think it was on Google at the time. Today maybe I'd probably use LinkedIn, um, but go out there, put our initial ad out there, put our initial landing page out there with our, with our website, with our copy and try to get, try to get people to sign up for it, for a demo, get them to fill out that form and, and want to learn more and look at the audience to see if it matched and, and kind of follow and go from there. But yeah. So how did that campaign go? That's a, that's a great question. And, and I, I actually, don't know. So yeah, to, to add to that and actually what, so how did it go and what metrics were you looking at for success? Right? Because when you're validating ICP, um, this is kind of how how we view it is especially messaging right so um and i I believe i said this in the video on linkedin um so i believe click-through rate is definitely a a metric that that gets underlooked um and that's a big metric like honestly um because it tells you if your messaging is resonating with your audience so were you measuring things like click-through rate or you were just i just want demos i want demos book today yeah it's a really really great point um I, I believe you have to have a North Star goal. So I think that that was going, that we were measuring uh, conversion rates mm-hmm. with, without a doubt. We were also measuring page views and clicks. And a, but the North Star metric for that campaign was what was, what was the conversion rate on that page to, um, to sign up for the demo. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what we were looking at. And to your point, the conversion rate, like, is it 1%? Not really mm-hmm. resonant. Is it 20%? And then what are the benchmarks for a good mm-hmm. demo conversion? And I was trying to measure that and it's hard to get that data and whatnot. But um, the next step though, that, that wasn't, uh, what our learning was is that wasn't enough mm-hmm. um, because you got them to sign up for the demo, but what happens next in the sales process? Are, are they a good fit? What happens when they get on that first call with you and, and you do some discovery and you tell them about here, like, do they move forward? So it's not just measuring the leads, the MQLs, the demo requests, but we really, all the way literally from day one, we're looking at how does that flow all the way through the funnel and eventually turn to revenue. Now, it's hard, especially in the early days, to put only the revenue metric on that. Like you're gonna be losing a lot of learnings yeah. if you go all the way down the funnel. That's too far down the funnel for this test. But I think I, I think for that test, we, we looked at 
how many signed up and then how many actually showed up for that first call, which we, we called an orientation call. And so we measured how many orientation calls we got out of the, and yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just taking a step back. So, cause you said you were going basically through a due diligence process when you first got the green light. And I know for some founders that like these SaaS companies, like if they're bringing a marketing person on, they want results today. So like, how did you align or how did you like get the philosophy to be like, Hey guys, I need to do my due diligence, whether it takes 30 days, 60 days. Like I have to set the right foundation before we press play on anything. Uh, this is a great story again. Yeah. Appreciate it, Isaiah. This, this is a, this is a fun one. So, um, we initially started off running those paid tests and we, we really wanted to experiment, but we, we learned pretty quickly that we weren't going to be able to scale from that only at the beginning. We needed to look at other channels. We needed to look at our, our product and, and our channel and see like what, what was the potential fit. And so with Greenlight, we were targeting at that time um, small SMB, uh, small med tech companies. Uh, and we kind of looked at the market, talked to other people, and um, right around that time, like HubSpot was really, uh, really big and really popularizing the, the inbound marketing philosophy. And I, I was kind of a, a student of it and kind of looked and, and thought like, maybe no, no one else in this industry is doing any like modern content marketing, any thought leadership, um, and, and thought there was an opportunity there. And so that, that was kind of the next channel that, that we looked at um, after, after paid. Um, and then, so I lost the train of thought a little bit there, but then how, how we thought about talking with the founders and getting enough time to be able to get there um, was it was a great story and, and a lot of fun. Um, it, it was it was hard. It was it was a little bit contentious if, if I'm being honest. Uh, John Spear, uh, co-founder of Greenlight, great friend, love him to death. Uh, now. Uh, at, at the time, uh, about six months in, he wanted to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, this is a, a good story. Um, but it, it was for that exact reason, because uh, I was pushing back really hard that we weren't ready to publish yet. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't know. We, we didn't know yet. We hadn't ran enough tests. We, we weren't ready. Um, maybe there's some wisdom out there that said we should have just launched and got it out there and whatever. But... I felt like we had more refining to do until we really launched our content strategy to the world and, and built our, our email list. Um, again, there's a lot of it. It's like, just ship it, just get it out there as fast as possible. But I think without doing that due diligence and without doing that learning in the beginning, I wouldn't have known what hypothesis we were testing and what success or success didn't look like. And so that was an education process for, mm-hmm. for both of us. I think I was definitely a little hard-headed uh, and we, we eventually ended up uh, getting to the, to the point. Um, and it, it, I mean, our John and I's working relationship on the content front specifically ended up being a, a smash and hit. So, yeah. so um, what's your philosophy on, on benchmarking um, yeah. as far as, you know, revenue being the North Star, but like how important are those metrics, those leading indicators before you get to revenue? And like, you know, revenue might not show up for the first four to six months if you're a, a new company, but there are some indicators that are important. So like how, how important was benchmarking for you? Yeah. So when, when looking at any campaign or any project or uh, if you're putting your OKR, your objectives for the quarter, like you need to measure what the goal is going to be. So I think benchmarking is one way to look at what is your potential goal um, and where should you set that. Uh, I think it's personally, I think it's an important one. I would want to look at the benchmarks and know what good, great, 
phenomenal that not success looks like. I guess we probably all know what not success looks like, whether it's benchmark or your own your own view. But you definitely want to know what you're striving for because that's going to inform like so much of your tactics and your strategy, mm-hmm. right? Like if you if you don't know what those benchmarks are, then what are you what are you shooting for? You're kind of like flying blind, basically. So yeah, I I'm a fan of benchmarks, but I can see. There's a lot of problem with benchmarks because people don't people use benchmarks that aren't correct for their their situation. I, I'll give I'll give an example. Uh, I was just talking with a with an entrepreneur yesterday, and uh, we were talking about some of their unit economics, and we were talking about um, retention, uh, churn, um, net retention, and I just had a little misunderstanding around benchmarks um, around net revenue retention and what the benchmarks in a three to $30 million ARR company, which is really my background where I've lived the last however many years, and we're talking at it coming at it from a zero to three million. And th- those are different, and there was just a report published that I landed on last night after the conversation, which was crazy, and sent over to him and say, hey, I, I'm sorry, we had maybe had a little misunderstanding here. Here's the actual context. Thanks for that. So that's like one of the areas that you can get caught up with benchmarking too. So. So going to your philosophy, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about like zero to, to one million that journey there. Um, so like, what's your what's your overall f- philosophy for marketing? Yeah, so I mean, I, I mentioned a little bit that I believe the goal and the purpose of all kind of the top level uh, of marketing is is managing perception and, and changing behavior. Um, but some of the some of the principles that that I have and. It, as, as I think about this and, and think about it more, like we had marketing principles at, at Greenlight Guru and those principles actually changed over time mm-hmm. given the size company that. So we're, we're talking about zero to one here, right? Or zero to a, a million in ARR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the principles that I look for in a marketing team there is like, it's speed. Like you just gotta move, you gotta move fast. Like what's, what's your rate of learning? What's your rate of experimentation? Um, how much are you feeding that learning back into your marketing strategy, back into your product strategy, back to the, to the business? Um, so I think speed, speed is really number one. This, this may be a hot take, but, but number two is really around frameworks and, and patterns and playbooks. And this is probably pretty similar to the bad rap that benchmarking gets is that people don't use them in the correct situation, right? Um, but you and I, we spent a lot of time together recently and we've been talking about this is like, why wouldn't you start with the template or yeah. the, or the framework? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why wouldn't you say like, you, you don't have to copy it 100%, like nothing that worked there is going to work 100% to you. But you, if you could learn from what they've already learned, like, why wouldn't you, why would you, you stare at a, a blank, uh, a blank page? Um, and so I, I think like the 80, 20 rule using the templates, using, using the frameworks. Uh, and then the, the third one that, that I'll say for the early stage companies would be being data driven. Um, you, you gotta know what's working. Like if you don't have your RevOps set up properly, you don't have your tech stack in place, you don't have definitions around what an MQL versus a, a sales qualified lead versus what an opportunity, like then it's really hard to do number one, which is that fast learning and, and the hustle if you don't have the data. So yeah, data-driven, uh, I think would be the, the third philosophy. So I, principle. I, got, I got a question. Again, it's gonna it's gonna have you thinking on this one. So at that Love point, it. zero to one million AR, you're you're still the, the only person here at Greenlight. Yeah. What book were you reading at that Ooh, point? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that is a that is a good question. At at zero to one, I actually don't think I was reading. 
Okay. If, I, if I'm if I'm being honest, I I wish I would have. Uh, it was one of the things that when you're a first marketing hire at a at a SaaS company or really first marketing hire at any startup, trying especially trying to go fast, like there's a million and one things to do, and you got a million things on your plate. You're juggling constantly all the time. I used to actually write in my journal that I wish that I had more time to read and to learn mm -hmm. because I knew that I could use that 80-20 principle. Like I knew there were people that had figured this out, and but it's like where do you balance the learning versus the execution when, when so much needs to get done? So uh, I, I was reading Influence. Like I, again, I, I was a, a student of HubSpot and their, their business and their mm -hmm. uh, not just inbound marketing, but really how they ran the whole thing. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I, I could tell you one, one book I read before I started Greenlight that I, that I really liked and had, had to learn at the, uh, the last three startups that I was at was uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things from Ben Horowitz, mm. uh, which is just a kind of classic overview of what, what the entrepreneurial journey is like. And uh, that, that was a good one to read going into Greenlight because uh, it, it's real. Uh, startups are hard. <laughs> yeah, so if you're, if you're at um, zero to one million, uh, definitely read that book. And actually, so I, I have another question for you, right? So let's, let's talk about transitioning to the second hire. Right, mm -hmm. um, or technically the first hire, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, where, what were you looking for, in as as one and two? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about because I feel like a lot of people in your position um, that could be listening to this, they could their ego could get in the way of the of the success of mm -hmm. marketing. So they can they may avoid hiring somebody that is more experienced than them because of their leadership role, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point, how did you one, how did you work on your leadership skills to be able to bring people in and then what were you looking for when you were bringing somebody in? Yeah, it's uh it's a fantastic question and really around the experience and being a, a first marketing uh hire and it's probably to your point of the second high like it's probably a more nuanced view i think there's a lot of content written out there about ceos and founders making their first marketing hire but mm -hmm. there's probably less content out there around first yeah. marketing hires making their first marketing hires mm -hmm. right um and yeah this is a very interesting fun to, to go back and think about the the philosophy and principle that i took um was was really around gaining expertise Mm. And to your point, like I, I hadn't done this before. It was the first time I had a marketing at a, at a B2B SaaS company um, and, and I needed to learn. And so I, I went out there, like I said, I didn't have enough time to read to learn. So mm -hmm. how, how do I get this knowledge another way? I, I compound by like, who are the best people in the world that do this? Like who are the best agencies? Who are the best contractors? And so when we needed a paid media agency, I went and looked and like, who's the best in the world at, at B2B uh, SaaS paid media? And when we needed product marketing, it's like, who's the best at messaging, positioning, testing, branding? Um, and then my philosophy is kind of like, bring those people onto your team and learn as fast as you can with them. Bring them on for a couple years. Like most, most of my uh, agency relationships all lasted a couple years. But I also was upfront with them that this isn't my strategy on how I'm going to run paid ads or how I'm gonna run product marketing forever. It was going to be a transition period, but I wanted to take all their expertise and their knowledge that they had working across dozens and hundreds of clients and mm -hmm. apply that to Greenlight Guru. And then when I was ready to start to build out the team, then I was able to look at the agencies and which one was the most mature, which one did I feel comfortable hiring, maybe a more junior resource at that point that can come in, work alongside that agency that mm -hmm. 
contractor, that consultant, whoever it is, um, gain some of that knowledge, do a knowledge transfer, and then make a transition and, and be able to have that person now now lead that that function. Okay. Yeah. So I think an even a more important question that a lot of people are probably wondering themselves watching this: What was it a change in responsibility that caused you to hire an agency, or was it like like what what moment were you like okay? I need an agency. Um, was it the revenue that was coming in or was it just the responsibility? Like, okay, I need somebody to take care of this or it could have just been simply, maybe I just wanted to learn. Yeah. That all, all great questions. Um, it was, it was definitely the resource. It was, it was time to scale. It was time to grow. So we kind of talked about that story of beginning, like getting to the, the research and holding back on the content a little bit. Um, Right around that same time, I mentioned we built the website. That was the first agency that I hired. I, like I did the copy and everything, but we worked to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was kind of the switch. And then I was like, okay, they're they're doing this piece. Um, now we're doing content. Oh, this is this is working. How are we going to scale this? Now John and I can't do this forever. Like how how do we get a resource in here to help us with our content strategy? Um, and then it just it kind of went through prioritization of like what what is next and so to your point of like was it all revenue or like do you need to to push at that time it was like yeah but now we need to scale and now it's this decision do you do you hire internally or do you hire externally and then because of the reasons that i spoke about before we did decide to make the hires externally yeah clearly that's something you don't regret at all no so yeah and actually so because this is this is a long journey in itself so before we transition to you know the 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 one to ten million ar Mm -hmm. i do want to ask you what what changed what, what were the biggest changes key changes as far as the uh the not necessarily company but the department infrastructure um was it okay was it two channels that got you to one million was it one um like how did that look yeah, it's a that's a great question. In the in the zero to one phase, we were really trying to validate what is that first scalable channel. Mm-hmm. What is that scalable, repeatable channel that we can either put dollars into or put resources into and scale up and kind of get that flywheel going. And that for us was content marketing, content led community, um, inbound marketing, many different flavor, but really organic SEO based driving driving the content driving the organic um, and then probably somewhere I, I don't know in the one to three million in ARR range um, maybe maybe five probably not five I would I would recommend maybe in the in the one to three range if, if you feel like you got that then that's where you bring in the resource whether that's the agency and they can handle that whole thing or that's the agency and now it's time to make that first marketing hire to allow them to, to manage that which is how we did it at Greenlight Guru which then allowed me to take my focus elsewhere and focus on growing our outbound channel and helping with our partner channel so speaking of that, um, right before we transitioned to one to ten million, so um, we were reading the article, the one that you sent us from Stage Two Capital um, about you know growth and, and when companies are in that product market fit phase, um, like the goal of that phase is usually retention, mm-hmm. um, and the conventional wisdom is usually if you have a retention or churn problem, the first place you look is either it's probably product or the onboarding is terrible. But like within the article, and it makes so much sense, and I want to like get your opinion on it. Like sometimes, like in a lot of cases, it's not product or onboarding; it's marketing and sales not targeting the right you know, best fit ICP in the first place. And so they churn because the product could be great if it was applied to the right, you know, um, yeah. ICPs. Like what's your thoughts on that? 
Uh, that you nailed it. Like, yeah, I, I mean, if you got a leaky bucket, nothing, nothing else is going to matter. But to your point, what's maybe contrary or, or not as far as like it can be and often is sales and marketing's issue uh, around targeting and around the, the ICP. Um, I, I mean, we could get into the, the details of, of how we validate that, but particularly in that early stage in that product market fit stage, it's a team sport. It's a founding team type of sport and, and maybe the, the first couple of hires, but you're sharing learnings, you're sharing knowledge and, and you're trying to dial, dial that in because to your point, you're trying to figure out, is it the product? Is it the onboarding? Is it the ICP and the messaging? What's the best way to test and validate this? Do we even have enough customers or enough prospects to, to say that this is statistically significant? And you're making a lot of gut calls, mm-hmm. I think at that point, um, but I think you, you're nailing it head on to, Sales and marketing can't uh, isn't absolved from mm-hmm. potentially ha- uh, being a part of that issue. Was demand gen important from zero to one? Like uh, for you, so, demand gen. It's a it's a term. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love. I, I feel love. like it's something that 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 definitely grew within the last year. Yeah. So <laughs> everybody is like a demand gen expert. Yeah, yeah, they're a demand gen agency, or they even have VP of demand, demand gen now. Yeah, which yeah. I don't think was a position um, a couple years back. So yeah, how 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 did that play play a role? Yeah. I think the, the evolution of demand gen marketing that maybe started as paid is what people like think of it as, mm-hmm. but I think it's really evolved from that. And now you have ABM or ABX approaches. Um, but now I really see it and you see it, a lot of the mature SaaS companies, I see them call this revenue marketing. Um, and that really is a much more encompassing view, I think of demand gen. and. It really depends on the flavor of the company and the size of the company because content, like in our in our situation, we were doing thought leadership content that also ranked as SEO and that was generating demand for it. It was at least capturing our demand for it. Like we weren't, you're trying to get to 1 million in ARR mm-hmm. at that time. Like you're not worried about this or that or is this really the the thing but you are testing and measuring and looking at the data and seeing what's working and doubling down on what's working and tweaking um so yeah does that that kind of answer your question yeah basically it's because i i'm so i kind of want to know what was it like as you as, as you transitioned from 1 million plus to that 10 million how how aligned was the marketing and sales team that is a that is a great question. I think we are we were extremely aligned. So uh, our our CEO led sales for a long time. I guess we probably right around that million million dollar mark brought on our our first VP of sales. And yeah, I had a I had a great relationship with him. And I think what made that alignment is that we built all of our data models and all of our projections and all of our revenue was lead to revenue from day one. Mm-hmm. Like the just the beginning of the company. I didn't know it was a best practice or not a best practice or fight like, again, I said kind of at the beginning thing, like I'm an entrepreneur at heart. It was like, I'm not just a marketing guy who's gonna throw over some leads, it doesn't matter. Like I, I'm, I'm a part of this team, like I, I, I'm here, we're, we're here to win. And so it just seemed natural that you have to measure from the top all the way to sales. And so the alignment where, where there was maybe more contention and where we had to kind of get into the weeds a little bit more is more around that ICP. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're, we're sending over leads. Some of them are closing, some of them are not. Um, our close rate maybe isn't where it wants to be. 
And that was kind of the first contention around sales and marketing is like, why is this close rate not good? Mm. Like, is it our sales process? Is it how we do discovery? Is it the product? Is it is it marketing and, and the ICP that we're attaching? Like you're, you're trying to figure out all those things. But yeah, I think from an alignment on like goal, like we were always dead solid, but then it was like, the why on what if either was something off or even the why uh, when something like totally is a winner on the other end too you, you want to know those too so yeah I'm, i would say i think it's better than most from most yeah. of the horror <laughs> yeah. most of the horror stories that, sure. I, that i've heard about um but yeah so, so what um what was the difference in go-to-market strategy from zero to one to one to ten yeah so it wasn't a ton different. I think you, you mentioned Mark Robert's um, uh, Science of Scaling, Stage 2 Capital. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, to be an LP in their, their Catalyst program. Um, in his second stage, or Stage 2, it, it's really about scaling. And it's really about scaling that first channel. And so in Phase 1, we talked about it was all about product market fit, NPS, retention. Um, in that phase two, it's really like, how do you find one channel that's working and scale it? And so like, that was really the focus again, like call it one to five was like, how do we scale our inbound channel? Um, but then somewhere between that three to five, we also kind of looking at where we're at, looking at our growth rate, we're gonna grow faster, where are the opportunities? And that's when we saw, well, clearly there's an opportunity to, to build an outbound team here. Um, and we also think that our, our partner program is working pretty well or our indirect channel um, kind of got that spun up out of its call it MVP phase and looked at, okay, is there a way to scale this channel? So we were kind of in the three channels, inbound, outbound, partner, marketing was going inbound first, scaling that one to one to five or zero to five, somewhere between three to five, we. Well, I said somewhere between one to three, we spun up the outbound or the uh, partner indirect channel and got some initial traction there, saw some good success. And then in three to five, that's when we, we layered in the outbound. And then we also looked at how could we better resource and scale the indirect channel. And so then right around five, somewhere between five and 10 mm -hmm. is where we had all three channels up and running at least you would say and so was that the point where you were like okay like yes we we have product market fit or it took a little bit longer um how did no, you know I, I would actually say that, that these are great questions and i i think there's other people at the company that will answer it and other people that will have more expertise on the product market fit uh phase and measuring that again that's really around the retention and the mps and i think cs and product organizations have more visibility um into that but when when we thought we had product market fit um i don't know there's there's some definitions around this like people say is it like either 10 or 100 like unaffiliated uh prospects sign up mm -hmm. and and are getting value from you or uh, achieve um first value or achieve long term like what however you measure you need to measure what you value for your product is um but so i think we probably felt like we had the first inklings of product market fit around that one million in arr um that gave us the confidence to invest and double down in that channel and look at other channels. Got it. So, um, what would you say is because you're you're you were an entrepreneur and operator, and you've obviously turned um, investor and advisor. So you've both experienced it and are advising on it. What do you see are some of the top mistakes companies who are between one and ten are making as far as like growing revenue and just you know scaling the company? 
Yeah, yeah, top mistakes. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of flavors to this, but I'll just I'll speak from my experience at, at Greenlight first. Um, one of the things that I wish we had done earlier and would have made things so much smoother, and, and this kind of goes back to my philosophy, but I wish we'd had our revenue, our rev ops, and our, our tech stack like buttoned up and tightened up. Like we didn't ignore it. It was a principle. I wanted to be data driven. Like we were trying to get it all lined up, but. I would have built the systems and processes to allow it to scale. Mm. Um, building the RevOps infrastructure to go from zero to one was one thing. Our mistake, and I think a, a mistake that I see a lot make, is believing what got you to zero to one is gonna get you from one to 10. Um, and that's where uh, I wish we would have just, yeah, built those process, done better training and really emphasize at a company level or at least a sales marketing CS team level, the importance of data outside the marketing team and mm -hmm. the importance of keeping CRM fields clean and the importance of making sure you document everything after your calls. It, it's just kind of the, the discipline that comes that you get with a more mature organization. But when you're moving a million miles an hour and things are flying like getting your tech stack and your data might not be the most important thing because you're thinking like how do i hit this goal this week this month this quarter not how do i build my revenue system so that when we're at 10 million and not 2 million that things aren't flying off the fan or like shit hitting the fan yeah. flying on, like hitting the walls like going crazy which inevitably will be your scenario and your case if you do not do the work up front now the kind of crazy part is like it's hard to envision yourself there if you haven't been there before but if you believe you're going to be there which all entrepreneurs founders investors that are in the company believe that they're going to get there they should believe then they, you. They, they they then they need to be doing the work today that's going to set them up for the success when they are there um but again that's something that I think with the, the benefit of hindsight, uh, I only know now. What, I have a quick question, right? So what was it like, because the, I, I know there's people dealing with this issue, right? So let's say your first channel is LinkedIn. Okay. It's going very well, that's where all, all your revenue is coming from. Um, so your budget is 30,000 a month. Okay. How do you know, okay, should I switch to another channel or not switch? But should I, should I, if I get 10,000 more and, and now my budget's 40,000, should I put that 10,000 towards another channel to try that channel or should I just double down on what I already have? Yeah, it's a great question with, I don't think, a definitive answer, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you how I, I might think about it. Um, there's probably some TAM, some sizing. So let's use LinkedIn as an example. You can figure out the audience size. You can figure out what's your reach, what's your saturation, how many times are you hitting that? Like what, what's your theoretical budget limit? Mm -hmm. And then if it's at 30K, I'm not gonna double it overnight. Like I, I'm gonna incrementally tweak it up over a, a period of months. And so maybe I'll tweak it from 30 to 40 and then watch the results for two weeks or a month. And then if it's as good, I'll go from 40 to 50. But then also watching um, to seeing how, like do the results get worse? Is our CAC dropping? Is our CAC actually getting better maybe? Um, but I'm doing that. And then it's looking at the goals, looking at the goal of the company, looking where we at, zero to one, where, and like is now the time that I'm able to pick my head up and take the blinders off and go mm -hmm. look at another channel? Um, or uh, do we still have learning and, and 
I mean, there's obviously in our example room to scale there, or we're saying that there is, um, but there probably is other opportunities as well. Um, this is, again, it's a, it's a hard one because you're always balancing focus um, versus skin. And I think marketers deal with this all over, like to your point, like the, always thinking about that, like the constant shiny bubble objects, especially in marketing. There's so many things you can do and so many tools and so many learnings. And so, you gotta you gotta figure out where you can balance and what's your bandwidth but that's kind of how i would look at it is like what's the potential scale that mm -hmm. we could get to here how do we start levering up to that and then do either i or my team or the company uh, are we at the right situation to start looking at those other channels and start experimenting yeah i think i think a lot of marketing marketing hires in general because you were you were in a very a very good position coming on so early as a as a founder a lot of a lot of you know CMOS um, don't have that luxury, honestly, um, because they're probably scared for their jobs. A lot of them are probably scared um, to to try certain things that they may feel would work and very well could work. But I think a lot of them are scared because they're like, okay, I don't know how the team is gonna take this. And sometimes they go mm -hmm. to the team and they're like, okay, well, hey, we should try this. We should try demand gen. We should put mm -hmm. you know 50% of our budget towards demand gen. And they're like, no. You know, yeah. like just no. I'm not gonna wait nine months to see certain, you know, certain results. So yeah, you know, for for people that that are in that position to where to where they they're iffy on experimenting with certain things, mm -hmm. um, how do you think they should address that to their to their team? Yeah, one one hundred percent. So I think as as a marketing leader coming into a later stage or a growth stage uh, company is to your point, much different than being a first marketing hire and building it internally. Um, so I actually personally haven't ever done this, but I've coached and, and seen the situation uh, quite some time. And I, I think there's a playbook. Obviously your first 90 days are, are really important, um, but I, I, I've really seen two schools of thought on this. Like some are like, get in there, get your hands dirty, get some quick wins, like get things done, get tactical. Um, but that also could shit like, if you're a real executive, like that's not what a real executive mm -hmm. is gonna do. A real executive is gonna look at, the, assess the situation. Now, don't get me wrong, they wanna show value. Like you, you may be looking for value in the first 30 days. Like what are your quick wins? What are your low hanging fruits? Like what can I update and, and just move the needle in my first 90 days? But you need to understand the context. Like what, to your point, like, has the team tried this before? Mm -hmm. Are you gonna piss them off? Are, uh, like, are we gonna waste $10,000, $50,000 doing something that we've already learned and documented? And so um, I, I think that a marketing leader needs to come in and set the right expectations. I think as a marketing leader, you do need to show um, improvement in the first 90 days, like full stop. Like if you come in and you aren't able to do something in, in 90 days, like, that's a problem and there should be some conversations as as to why but also if you're a professional and you're experienced and you're you're an executive and you're looking to grow then you know that your job is to think one to two years out like that's what you're paid to do and that's what now don't get me wrong you got to hit the, hit the goal and that's the, the name of the game but you're also paid to be thinking in the future and so if you can't think into the future on that and see how you're gonna marry your quick wins to what's gonna start generating and be your strategy in six and nine months that's going to say like, hey, this is working, like then 
maybe you're, you're going to be, if you don't do that, you're going to be in a world of hurt in, in six to nine months yeah. anyways, because you're not going to be getting the results that you want. Yeah. And, and I, Isaiah, I want your, your opinion on it as well. I want you to give some advice here, but cause I, I, I do believe that you, these are things you should know before you even take the job before, as soon as they offer you the job or when you apply for it, these are things you should run by the team before you actually start your first day, because it would cut out a lot of that. Yeah. It really would. You wouldn't be scared to experiment because you've already spoke about it before you were even, before you were even hired. Um, and so Isaiah, what would you say? Um, because Nick, his his strategy was hire experts, and that's how he was able to to grow so fast um, and learn so much. So are you are you under that same philosophy? I, I am under that same philosophy as far as you know bringing in the experts quick because at that at that phase, like he said, speed is is what you need the most. Like you don't have time to bring in junior experts because it makes the most um, sense for Pricer to try and, you know, get somebody from a, a big competitor and get them to, you know, align with your philosophy. Like most of this stuff is, is context. Like get the experts. Have Like you need to own your strategy before you even bring the experts in. Like first of all, you need to own your strategy yeah. because you're going to, if you're bringing in a couple of different vendors from like paid social, somebody doing organic, somebody doing SEO, they have different philosophies, but you're supposed to be the center point for your company. So you need to have a strategy and a philosophy that you own for the company. And then they need to fall in place there. Like they need to just come in and execute on the philosophy that you have. But I'm in full, you know, agreeance with like bring in the experts because we need to learn quick. Zero to one is like yeah. learn, 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 iterate, iterate, iterate. Not like let me get my in-house team and scale because you're not there yet. Like and some companies make that mistake as far as like let's we're at we're not even at a million dollars ARR like we're ready to scale like yeah they, they think they have like product market fit of like three hundred thousand yeah. dollars like ARR like it's like nah dude like and yeah I mean to even add to that experts don't always come in the form of agencies right yeah they can come in mentors consultants mm -hmm. and yeah. no one no one even watching this right now is too good I don't care if you're at 10 million ARR already 30 million you're never too good for a workshop you're never too good it only takes one workshop to change everything and they could take you to a, a a unicorn, right? One hundred and ten percent. A couple, a couple of my marketing mentors and, and people that that I read and and watched and and looked at their stuff and were always just uh, super impressive. Um, uh, G. Cabane uh, and Ganto, uh, they they run a, a firm called Hypergrowth Partners. Uh, it, uh, G. just posted this on LinkedIn literally, I think, like yesterday. Uh, and where he's an he's an advisor at Brex, uh, mm. unicorn growing like through the through the roof. But he he um, has been a growth advisor there for for a couple of years now, and uh, has shepherded them through that growth. And he wrote a real detailed post going into like the actionable uh, how they do it. Really really into it. I, I'd recommend uh, going checking that out either on G's uh, LinkedIn or on, on Brex. But at what I said, what he gets into it is about that speed and about the the speed of experimentation and, and rapid learning and what he's seen through his experience working with multiple uh, unicorns and, and helping them grow and kind of be in that lead growth advisor to your mm -hmm. point um, is that the ones that win are able to keep that speed and that rapid pace of experimentation at scale yep that's that's the scary that's that's what's so hard and having lived it I, I totally not like the the bloat the the weight of the organization, the competing priorities, the uh, there's just a million and one things always, and so it's really hard to to keep that same velocity and and veracity really after like attacking the problem um, at scale. And so, yeah, I would I would go check out what what they got. Um, but you, if 
back to the principles, if you lay those principles with the team, I think that's how you can help it or, or influence it at, at scale. So, so earlier you you mentioned that the, the principles changed from one million to ten, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, and from mm -hmm. you know from zero to one. As we wrap up here, I, I kind of want to know what was what principles changed. What was your new principles once you like once you surpass that that one million ARR? Okay, and it's like okay, we need to do these things so we can get ten million plus. Yeah, I would say the biggest, without getting into the specifics, is that like zero to one, it's all about doing and learning and a really small team and you're just moving fast whereas one to ten and as you start to build the team it is about teamwork it is about collaboration it is about how you work cross-departmentally it is about how your goals and your actions ladder up to the department goals which ladder up to the company goals which ladder up to the board goal. like it's all connected and as that single marketing hire for a long time that had a lot of agencies like it it's just like do 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 get to get the shit done like mm -hmm. move fast throw things at the wall some will break some won't like it doesn't matter it's just you in there like you we talked about the relationship with sales like things are good don't get me wrong but it's very much blinders and just execute whereas those principles definitely started to change is like yeah it, it, teamwork and collaboration because at at the end of the day like businesses are people businesses and people are everything um and that's that's how you win so just to just to wrap it up um let's leave the audience with some wisdom so like let's let's talk to somebody who's in your position let's talk to the vps of marketing and cmos so like surely let's start with you like what would be a, a piece of advice you would give to like vps of marketing and cmos mm -hmm. um get some help get all the help you can um and get and i'm, I'm not just just saying this from an evron perspective um mm -hmm get you know and it's not really even just vps of marketing um it, it relates to everybody just get as much help as you can um youtube youtube is free um find an advisor you can find someone on linkedin get get some mentors join workshops workshops are everywhere go on eventbrite and find something that that fits you the best um that's around your category and who knows you may go there and meet somebody that could be your advisor and the person teaching could be your brand new mentor so and from there, that's definitely how I, I, I believe you would scale from zero to ten. Yeah. What about you, uh, Nick? Well, I, I'm, I'm gonna throw it over to you, Isaiah. Actually, I, what, what, what advice are you gonna get, give to these heads of marketing, VPs of marketing, CMOs? Context is everything. Like yeah. for me, if like you, if you break down what marketing is, it's just numbers and words. But you have to put it in context. Like that's the biggest thing for me is you're gonna use you're gonna have an agency, you're gonna have somebody who comes in, like, yeah, we're gonna get the messaging down. Like that's the whole point. Like we're gonna get it down, we're gonna get these numbers, but how does it make sense for the context of our business? Like, does it make sense for the scale? Like we're at zero to one, does like these this messaging strategies, this like do these numbers make sense for this scale or this phase? Like just put everything within context. Like know that there are frameworks out there that you can use that you don't have to copy verbatim, but take pieces from different frameworks and different companies that have some type of contextual like basis behind it and just make it all make sense for you mm -hmm. yeah they nailed it nailed and it. actually both, both before you even give yeah. your answer right, right yeah. this is this is what i we're gonna give nick some homework um so Ooh. for people watching nick you're not gonna even say your answer right here where can people find your answer oh i love it I lo <laughs> hit him with the intrigue frame i love it Shalik. oh man that that's really good yeah so uh you can follow follow me along and find me on twitter uh, at N Tipman, T-I-P-P-M-A-N-N. -N. 
And then also on, on LinkedIn, uh, I'm actually in the middle of doing a, a 30 posts for 30 days on LinkedIn. Started about 10 days ago, as you guys know, and maybe maybe some in this audience by the time we post it, we'll, we'll see, but it's been a, been a fun ride. And yeah, I will, uh, I, I love that, Shalit. You got, you set me up, you know, I got 30 posts. That, that's gonna be a fantastic post, but we'll, uh, Go check out go check out the LinkedIn, and that's where you'll uh, you'll find what these heads of marketing and VPs the the tip that I'm gonna leave them with. So, hey, thank thank you guys. Like for sure, is, for sure, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that um well, that will sum up episode two of our A to B podcast. And we promised y'all it would be yeah. some value this episode. So. So yeah, so hopefully, go. Hopefully, I hopefully I didn't disappoint them. I don't know. We know you didn't. I, I need I need everybody to go tag uh, Nick on Twitter yes. and LinkedIn and tell him come for episode two. <laughs> I mean uh, for a second episode. I'm sorry, um, and then we will see you guys in episode three.